Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. Season three of the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast is brought to you by Samato Coffee. Pull Back the Curtain podcast listeners will receive a 20% discount on your order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit their website at www.sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people? And what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with our rawest opinion, while giving you the straight up facts. That's right, no fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Press. On this episode, we pull back the curtain on how we can save our youth and much, much more. Press, what's popping, baby? Jules, man, I am good, brother. This has been one of those weeks. I got back from Vegas late oh, Tuesday morning. Man, how was so, it? You know what I always say, Vegas usually wins. But I was to say uh, it was a tie this weekend, man. I, I I held my own with you, Vegas. I held my own. Oh, great. Oh, man, I'm glad to hear that. I am glad to hear that, buddy. The Bears won. Mm-hmm. I won some bets out there. I stayed out of trouble. I didn't oh. get into any fights at the game. <laughs> there you it go. It was a good time, bro. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Jackpot. <laughs> For real. Hey, how my man, how my man Dub do? Well, you know. <laughs> you know what they say sometimes you shouldn't bite off all the apple. I think Dub bit off a little bit of that apple, Uh-oh, man. But he had okay. a good time. He had a good time. Okay. That's good, man. <laughs> man, I'm glad you guys had a great time and made it home safe and and definitely that the Bears that the Bears won. What about you, man? Did y'all close on the lake house, man? Well, we had a little hiccup. We were supposed to close this past Wednesday, but uh, the appraisal went. Everything didn't go right with that with the home. The, they're supposed to check the water, but the water was shut off. So the prayers had to set up another schedule for the people come out to turn the water on. So the prayers would come out and check the water, and then they would be good to go. Uh, so they gave us a date for next Wednesday. So the wife and I were just just waiting patiently and just just came with Wednesday. So we're going out there while I'm on vacation to kind of just get away and get off the grid and, and just relax. See, man, that, that sucks, man, because you took this time off for your vacation so y'all could be down there kicking it. Mm-hmm. Yep, we had a picture of just, have, you know, they have bonfires just sitting in the back and just have a nice little bonfire, man, probably throw a sheet up and watch a movie on that sheet like a projector and uh, just just get away from all this hustle and bustle and this fast life and, and just really enjoy each other and, and, and decompress. But I get a couple of days, you know, it's going to be busy as far as moving and driving out there and then coming back, get a U-Haul truck and do all that stuff. And, you know, so by the time we get things set up, <laughs> it's back to business as usual. But if I get a couple of days in, I'll be good. Hey, listen, man, as long as you get some time out there to decompress, man, roast some marshmallows, check out some movies out there, y'all be good. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. I know how that stuff goes with them damn inspections, man. At the end of the day, what can you do? Reschedules, they happen. It's always right. some hiccup that happens with these closes. But at the end of the day, man, y'all going to get in there. It's going to be all good. And I look forward to y'all being able to have some of that time to decompress and reconnect. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. I'm going to definitely, definitely send you a picture, man. 
I can't wait. I'm gonna live vicariously through y'all. Man. <laughs> you know, I, I love me some Peoria. And then we, then we, when um, if we get everything set up, man, you gotta have you come out there. Oh shit! Say less. I'm ready. <laughs> say less. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, man, let's get into the fair file and these mailbag questions before we get into the nuts and bolts of this episode today, Jules. Obviously, I was down in Vegas watching a ton of football. I was throwing in some bets at the sports book. So when I was at the sports book, obviously I noticed that the Lions, they lost again. And then I mm-hmm. saw the coach doing his little presser. And he had a little passion. He had some tears in his eyes. And I'm like, man, okay. I'm like, this guy right here, you know, he's he's in it. You know what I'm saying? He's getting emotionally invested in this team. And I hear some fans around me, they're laughing and like, oh man, this guy's soft. He's this and that and blah, blah, blah. So Jules, I'm asking you, fair or foul? Oh, NFL fans clowning the Lions football coach for breaking down the tears after this team lost their fifth straight game. Well, you know what? He was crying because you build up so much and you want to see your team win so bad they fought their hearts out. And to get a second time to lose with a field goal, it's like, ah. And if anybody who has kids or who individually themselves try to do something, try to compete or wherever the case may be, and you're just, you're, you're almost there and didn't get there, a couple things going to happen. It's a human emotion. You're either going to cry, you're going to scream, you're going to break something, you're going to, it's a human emotion. And, and what he did right there in front of a lot of people, he wanted his team to win. His team was fighting so hard to win. They're on five. This is the second time they lost with a field goal kick. You yep. know, the first one in Baltimore, that's, that's unbelievable. And then the second one is, <laughs> is a nice one. It was, it was like a 50-some-yard kick. Yes, just frustrated. You know, he wanted to see his team win. And of course, he wanted the fans to get behind him. He wanted the organization, the staff to get behind him, the players. And when they lose like that, it's it's tough. And hell, what you want? Hell, he can go up there and be mad and pissed off. But no, they fought hard. He said they fought hard and they just, the other team just, you know, got in position where they could nail the field goal and win. And it's just tough, man. I, I call it, I don't call it a, a foul, man. It's It's fair, man. Prayers, I cried plenty of times. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's fair for him to go out there and show display emotion like that. Yeah, I thought it was fair on his part, too. And I thought it was foul for those fans that were around me that were, oh, were making mm-hmm. comments because I definitely said something because I looked over at one of the guys. I said, did you play? And I knew the answer to the question and I'm not going to try to shame anybody, but you guys know where I'm going with that. And he said, uh, Oh, no. He said, I've just been watching football my whole life. I'm like, yeah, so the fact that you never strapped on some, some shoulder pads and put on a helmet, you don't know what the commitment that goes into this craft, the agony of defeat and what that does. I said, like, that's what you're mm-hmm. seeing right there. This guy's putting his all into this. People don't realize these NFL coaches, they're taking all this time away from their kids, their family, spouses, whatever the case may be. That team is their life. Most of the time they say these guys don't even sleep. 18 to 20 hours a day, mm-hmm. their responsibilities to this organization. So fuck it. I'm not going to sit here and make fun of somebody that has emotions because his team didn't perform well. He's putting everything into it to make sure that they perform well. That should have struck chords with that Detroit Lions fan base. When you see your coach doing that, that shows you that he's passionate, but he's invested in this team. So right. for me, I love seeing it personally. Here's an example. Yeah. Well, we got we lost another close one. You know, we'll look at the state, we'll, we'll, fight, we'll study, Ugh. see what we can do. You know, the same old, same old speech that Cliche you Cliche bullshit, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, man, my man got up there, man. He was talking and just just came out. It happens. It's human emotion. I mean, God wouldn't have uh, gave us tears if we, you know, if we can't use them. Sometimes you get in a situation, that's the only thing you can't do. <laughs> Listen, 
<laughs> my mom used to always say, I'm a laugh to keep from crying. So sometimes uh-huh. that shit be like that, uh-huh. bro. Yep. <laughs> Dude. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, okay, you also, this is my last point on this one. If you or I were the coach of the Lions, Jules, could you uh-huh. imagine... You probably be crying yourself to sleep, but not a lot of nights because, as you mentioned, and the great points you brought up, those late second losses they had with them field goals, and we know a little bit about that here in Chicago. We ain't gonna speak on it, uh, but that shit there, it can hurt. Uh, <laughs> so I understand. If it's sports, if it's a career, if it's school, mm-hmm. or it's a trade or something, and you're somebody promised you, yeah, you know what, you in. The next time you fill out this application or just do this. And then, and you're doing everything. You're busting your butt. You, you're going here. You're getting this. And you get there. Like, oh, sorry. But, man. And it's something that you really, you know, you really want. Man, you, like I said, you, <laughs> a few things you're going to do. And some of them, some of them you can't do because you might be, you might end up, end up behind bars. So, <laughs> so, 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 so all you can do is cry. <laughs> Yo, that's silly, but it's true. <laughs> Man, true. <laughs> you were you ready to turn around and hurt somebody, like right? <laughs> Shout out to Dan Campbell. We yeah. need to see more of that, not only in sports, but in 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 this world. People, let's let's start being real with our emotions and our feelings, man. I mean, the guy's passionate. There's nothing wrong with what he did, and I definitely treated the fans that was making fun of him, at least the ones that was around me. And you could tell they ain't like what I had to say. But you know, at the end of the day, Jules, you know me. I ain't gonna lose sleep over it. I don't know those people. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I I can imagine what how you was looking and what you said, and you probably just walked away like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I said what I have to say, I'm gone. And I took another swig of my beer and I just kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> and like this big dude was like, yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, let me not make fun of uh coaches anymore that's crying because yeah. uh they're passionate about their, their team. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of passion, okay, that fury wilder three fight. Jules, oh, you know, I was down there mm-hmm. at a viewing party checking that fight out. So now this question comes up from Chip from Columbus, Ohio. And he wanted to know, was the Fury Wilder three fight the fight of the decade so far? Chip, got, he's, a little pre, he's a little premature because, I mean, the decade honestly just started in 2020. <laughs> so, <I'm> like, <laughs> so, so I was like, hmm, this is what, 2021? I'm like. Mm, well, I guess it is. Because <laughs> I can't think of any other ones. I think that's why he asked the question. I think he was trying to trying to get us to think a little bit on that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I guess it is a fight of the decade. So uh, the first one, you know, in the, in the draw. Second one, man, my God, prayers, we was there. Yep. Prayers, we was there. We watched and we was like, ooh. And the third one, I'm not going to lie, prayers, it was... It was a good bad fight. If that's such is if it's such a statement, Ooh, okay, enlighten us. It was good because you get two heavyweights. I mean, just going toe to toe, going eleven rounds. Bad because my man Wilder went away from game plan, and it, it turned out he went street fight. Took a lot of punishment. Yeah, it was cringing because I was like, any time, any second, he's going to fall. Because from the fourth on to the 11th, he was on borrowed time because he couldn't hardly stand. I called that he had the rubber legs going on. Yeah. Yeah. He can barely stand. And I'm I'm sitting up there like, oh, man, this is ugly. This is ugly. But then he'll show you how tough he is because he kept coming and he Mm -hmm. he kept throwing. And he did what he did. He lasted until 11th. Then he just 
when Tyson gave him that, that hook, it was over. Yeah, that was a wrap. It was a good, bad fight. I guess the fight of the decade so far, it is, Chip, because it's only 2021. But <laughs> I, the trilogy, you get your money's worth. That third fight was, it was cool. I wished, uh, I like to see my man Wilder go the distance and him put up a better performance. Even he know himself in, um, in the press conference. He even said he said he went away from the game plan. I hope they come back for another one. I hope they come back for another one. I think that we might have to be done with these because it may be time for Fury to move on to another opponent, which I don't know who that would be because at first I thought it would have been Joshua, but then mm-hmm. Joshua got beat. So I don't know. Maybe I would like to see Wilder and Joshua fight. I think that'd be a okay. good fight. And then maybe come back and revisit this? And uh, then maybe Tyson come and... back and revisit, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, man. See, Joshua, man, bro. I, I would really like to see Joshua and Tyson and Joshua and Wilder because Joshua is a more polished technical boxer than Yeah, he's a boxer. Pure boxer. Mm -hmm. So that would be, he might would be a better matchup with Tyson. I think so too. And that's why I was disappointed when he lost because I was like, that was the fight. That was the next Mm -hmm. fight. That was the next one. That was the key with Fury and why he won because he's a boxer. We know Wilder's not, Wilder's just, bro, he's a brawler and Uh he will knock your ass out. But if you get him in there with somebody like Fury who's technical, he's going to lose. And now one of the things you brought up about him going away from his game plan, a mm-hmm. lot of people don't realize this. He replaced his longtime trainer for this fight. That right, probably right. was what went into it. And we all understand that in, in boxing, in sports, or whatever the case may be, or even in, in your professional pursuits, when you got a mentor, somebody that's been in your corner for all these years, you go away from what you know, sometimes it don't always work out so well. And I think that that went against Wilder in this fight. But Chip, when I think about this question that you asked, I thought it was one of the best fights I've seen in some, in some time. Now, I do understand what Jules is coming from about it being a good, bad fight because, yeah, it was tough seeing Wilder taking that punishment. Mm-hmm. It was, mm-hmm. it, that was bad. Yeah. But from a standpoint of just a boxing fan, mm-hmm. wanting to see guys that are trading punches for a fucking change because there's so many times in these damn fights where they're dancing around the ring for 12 fucking rounds and they don't even touch each other. These guys, it was a lot of action. A Man. lot of action. A lot of guys getting knocked down, and Fury knocked them out in the 11th round. So for me, yeah. I thought it was one of the better fights I've seen in some time. I mean, uh-huh. shit, Mike Tyson, he said it was going to go down as one of the greatest fights ever. I was like, okay, Mike, I see you. Ooh, okay, Mike. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it would have been like that for me if Wilder would have stepped to the game. But he came out jabbing to that stomach, trying to t- tire uh, Tyson out early. I had boxes up. So I'm, I'm watching, and I'm just looking. I said, man, my man, guards are low. Yep. Every time he punched, he, he it's just one to the stomach and there's no head movement. No. And I'm sitting up there like, man, Wilder, come on, man. We, you got to be faster than that now. You got to move that head because he, he was getting tagged. He was. And, and then, that was the part that was tough to see, man. Right. And I'm just like, come on, Wilder. You know, I'm pushing, you know, I'm pulling for him. Yeah. He knew he was in trouble because he was throwing them rights and he was trying to get rid of them. But here's the only thing. Tyson, he got knocked down twice. I believe what was the third round, the fourth, I think. I forgot I forgot which round. And um got up, and it was like, man, bro, you can't hurt this man. No. You can't well, hurt this man. Well, Wilder already know that. Remember that time when he when he knocked that man and he got up and he looked like yeah. a fucking grateful dead? I was like, yeah. no, no, no. Uh-uh. I, that dude, I, yeah, that dude, that dude crazy. Uh-uh. Man, I would just, I'll, I'll pull a Floyd and just win off points and defense, stick and move, and, and call it one. And call it one. People may not want to see that, but I'm, 
dude, you knocked this dude twice down twice in one round, and he just got up and it didn't even phase him. He shook it off. And he caught him with some clean shots, didn't he? When he when mm-hmm. he took him down. That's the thing, though, when I look at this fight, man. It was all guts and heart, and just mm-hmm. determination. Shout out to Wilder, man, because like you said, Jules, he, he was going. After that fourth, fifth round, I was like, "Oh man, he's gonna go down any moment here." But yeah. he stood, he stood in there, he stayed tall, even when he got knocked down in the eleventh round. I still looked around at people and I said, "That motherfucker right there is tough as fucking oh, shit." Oh man, he is a warrior. Yeah, because me, I'd have been, I'd have dove my ass out the ring. I'd have grabbed my own talent, <laughs> threw it in there. Juice, <laughs> <laughs> you'd have been like, "Hey, y'all throwing this towel, but I'm gonna act like I fucking want to go back out there." <laughs> It was like watching, uh, dude. It was like watching uh, Ronald Rocky films because it was like just a, a slugfest. Yeah, that was that Club <laughs> Lang shit, bro. Man, great question, Chip. Great question. Mm-hmm. All right, the next question comes over from Travis from Ames, Iowa, and Jules. He wants to know, hey, Travis, what do you think about the NFL and the John Gruden mm. situation? Oh uh, man, uh, uh. ooh we. Boy, John, I know he wasn't coaching at that time he was sending emails. I Right, he'd been out for a minute. But still, boy, you talking about the past come back to haunt you. Some emails was just terrible. Yeah, I mean, man. racist, homophobic, misogynistic type emails. And, he mean, he did do hit or hit everything. You know, black, the, the commissioners, the owners, the players, uh, women. And then he resigned. And Perez, I ain't surprised, really. 11 years ago, you can just imagine how many other other, other emails out there that probably got some stuff on there. Ooh, talk that talk, Jules. But, that, but <laughs> people don't want to talk about that part. Right. I, I can only imagine. I don't know him now. Maybe he have changed. I don't know. I don't know him personally. But back then, and what the emails were saying, and, man, that, you're just a bad person. You're just a bad human being. Yeah, that shit was tough to see. But, but the thing that you said that I want to piggyback off of is the fact that, okay, <laughs> let's not act like this is an isolated situation. Mm-hmm. Let's think about the NFL and what the NFL has gone through. We've gone through the Colin Kaepernick situation. We've gone through situations where there's been so many accusations of domestic violence against women and all kinds of different things that happen off the right. field with these athletes, right? So the fact that everybody's all up in arms right now about what's going on with this type of language that's being put in these emails, you got to think about the type of attitudes that are prevalent in the NFL. Now, the only reason why we know anything about these emails is because the Washington football team was being investigated for a bunch of misconduct. So think about all the other people that's out there. They're going through this unscathed because they weren't communicating with that organization. So to your point, Jules, that's a great point. There's so many people out here that were probably using that type of language loosely, not thinking shit of it. Oh, whatever. You know, I'm going to refer to this black man in the way that he referred to him. I'm not even going to repeat the shit that he said because it's like it's it's just ignorant. It's, to me, it comes off as ignorance. Now, to your point, you don't know if he's changed, but at the simple fact of the matter is, I hope that he has. And even if he hadn't at that point, hopefully now he realizes after the whole aftermath of this situation, how his reputation has taken such a hit that maybe he does sit down and try to understand why the things that he was saying and the things that he was writing are so problematic. You know what I mean? Oh, man, big time. Hey, all of us, you know, dig in the closet and you'll find something. Oh, but yeah. at the time, when he gave his statement, me, I would have been very apologetic. You didn't really hear that from him. You didn't at all. In fact, he made excuses, bro. 
Right. You know, I ought to get up. Hey, man, you know what? It was 11. It was 11 years ago. I'm, I'm sorry I said this. And, you know, because prayers at the time, it was a different it was a different world back then, 11 years ago. It yeah, was a different it was. world. It was. And not saying that uh, it was acceptable, but, you know, you at this time, you didn't really get that. Uh, people wasn't digging in your past and then coming back to to get you and counsel you or wherever the case may be. I would have came and been very apologetic. I would have did the same thing. I would have resigned because you didn't want that heat on the um on the NFL on, on your football team with that all that distraction. But I would have been very apologetic. And for the ones I offended, I, you know, I'll definitely look at myself and work myself and make sure definitely it will never happen again. Yeah, fair point. And I think the Bears caught the Raiders at a good time because that Raiders team, they were so distracted. If you looked at the way they were playing in that game, mm. They were thinking about everything else except for football. I mean, they they, they just looked awful. And, that, and you could tell. So, they were distracted by everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. They had to answer questions for their coach. And this is my thing. This is what my main problem is with sports, especially in the NFL. The players always have to fucking answer to the bullshit that goes on. When, when the Colin right. Kaepernick situation came out, it was the players that they were looking at. When... It's been other situations that have gone on. It's always, why is it the players that always have to answer to some shit? It's like, man, these are society's issues. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's let's put the onus on what this is. Like, let's be honest here. And I've always said this on this show. When it comes to the NFL, they could do a better job of enacting change. A lot of times, man, they just do stuff because they're like, okay, well, we know everybody's watching, so we got to put these different things on the end zone. So we're going we're gonna to put down the end, end racism thing. So that's going to help end right, racism. Right. Fuck out of here. You know, it's like well, nah. a lot of the stuff they do, it's all bullshit. Oh, it takes all of us. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. But what are you actually doing behind the scenes to change your culture? Right. Because when we talk about these emails going back for a fucking decade, if y'all think that that's the only fucking person Mm-mm. that was sending emails right. like that throughout these organizations, you were fucking fool. Right. It's the culture. Right. Especially 11 years ago, NFL, war, you, <laughs> like I said, prayer, you'd be amazed on what people talking like. Yeah. I mean, okay. So John Gruden, his own player, became the first openly gay player right. to come out, right? You remember that? Mm-hmm. And John Gruden came out and was like, Oh, yeah, I learned a long time ago what makes a man different is what makes him great. So he came out of support. But then, John, your emails from a decade ago says a whole different story about this individual because them homophobic slurs you used in private, that shows you who you are as a man. That's who you really are. So this is my thing. I think people need to start being true to themselves. Be authentic. If you feel some kind of way, then be that kind of way. Right. I don't like people that are fucking one way to this person, and then you come over here, you in my face, saying all these different things. Fuck that. If you feel some kind of way, let me know, so at least I know where you stand. I don't want to be sitting here thinking right. that you ride with me and you really don't. Yeah, see, Perez, that was a, a good point. Now, if he said that, I forgot that young man's name that's on the, that's on the Raiders team now. because he was on, uh, Now, if he was back then, and he was talking that way, and then he support today, he had if, if he was really genuine and had a heart, he would have said, listen, I'm not the best person back then. I wasn't a saint. I said things and I grown since, you know, from from me talking 11 years ago. And and here I am now. These are my views now. I was young and dumb then or even I mean, he was in his probably 30s or 40s or something 11 years ago. But but, you know, I grown since then. And I know now. And here's where I'm at. But he didn't say that. No. 
he didn't say it. And it was like, man, like you said, prayers actually speaks louder than words. Yeah, always, always. That's, that was something I learned and things that I continue to just even learn now. So that's why I'm telling you, Jules, even because I'm on this microphone talking to our audience, I tell you guys all the time, man, I still make mistakes. I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to be a better person. So when I see a guy like John Gruden in this situation, I look like, hey, he's being held accountable for his past mistakes. And uh-huh. I don't feel like this is a cancel situation. This is accountability. And you always right. have to realize mm-hmm. right. that your your actions, they for every action, there's a reaction, right? And there's consequences. Mm-hmm. And he's learning that. But let's not feel sorry for John Gruden because John Gruden is still walking away with a shit ton of money. So he could ride off oh, into the man. sunset. Y'all ain't going to cancel this man. This man's rich. And he's going to walk away probably with about $50 million. So he'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He good. No issues there. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question. Comes over from Jason from Bloomington, Indiana. And Jules, okay. he says, what are you guys' thoughts on Dave Chappelle's comments on his recent Netflix special? Jules, oh, man. talk to them. Dude. Dude, Dave Chappelle is modern-day Dick Gregory, man. I mean, he hit, he hit, on, he hit on topics and points and things that's prevalent in today's times, but he put them in, in a joke but he gets you thinking. That stand-up special was like, okay, for for example, we he's talking about we he's talking about the baby, and he's talking about well, you know what, you know the comments the baby made, and you know yep. people coming at him. But then Dave said, but you didn't know that the baby, you know, in Walmart, he you know ended up killing somebody, but nothing happened to his career then. So he then he was like, you see where I'm going with it. Yeah. But these are these are factual information, so it's not like he's making stuff up or. Just making things up. These are factual information, but he's putting it, but he's playing the two against each other to make you think. But, you know, of course, you know, they came at him, LGBTQ people came at him because it's against LGBTQ. But the only thing is, Dave Chappelle's not a hypocrite because he had he had a friend he talked about, the LGBTQ community, he had, he had a friend who was in that lifestyle and gave her an op- opportunity. So it was like, hey, don't come at me for saying, I'm just telling you the facts. And I put it in a, in a joking way, in a comedic way, but it gets people to learn and understand and just look at things in, in a different light. Okay, that's all he's doing. And Jules, I like that Dick Gregory comparison. And for our audience that may not be familiar with Dick Gregory, if you're not, do your research because he was a dope-ass individual. And oh, yeah. one of the things about him that I liked was the fact that even though he stood for empowerment of our people, he still used humor as a way to mm-hmm. kind of bridge the gap. And he kind of found humor in the whole civil rights struggle, Jules. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, where I'm going with, there with that. Mm-hmm. And he was a force for civil rights in the 60s. The man went on hunger strikes. He did all kinds of things to bring that awareness. So when I look at the situation with Chappelle, I say, Dave Chappelle has been doing this for years as far as being edgy, right? right. Saying things almost in a way to get people to think critically. And I know sometimes some people get mad at the things that he says. And this situation is no different. I mean, you got to think about it now. People are calling for Netflix to take down the special. And Netflix has already come out and said, we are not going to do that. No, we don't care no. how many people nope. write in. We're not doing that. Good. Now, Good. I'm just going to say this. People that are now just finally saying, oh, Dave Chappelle, these comments. He's been saying this stuff throughout his career. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch the Dave Chappelle show? 
all the things right. that he's doing has always been thought-provoking things. He's done things about his own culture. He's done things about all type of races and backgrounds. So my thing is, where was the outrage then? Where was the outrage when he had the N-word family skit on the Dave Chappelle show right. where he poked mm-hmm. fun at Black people? No, you guys laughed at the shit. So we got to keep that same energy. Now, I'm going to say this, though. When it comes to that LGBTQ community, my heart goes out with them because I know how it feels as an African-American to be a part of a marginalized community. So I can understand if there are things that are being said that makes them feel, hey, man, he's taking shots at us. He's putting us in danger. Okay, I can understand that part of it. But don't make it seem like this guy's only picking on one particular set of people because if you look at him throughout his career, he's gone after everybody. We know that that's what comedy is. When you look at comedians, they kind of toe the line in their work of things that they say and they do. So off-color jokes is kind of a part of their shtick. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that it's okay to have anything that makes people feel endangered or anything like that, but, I mean, let's just call it what it is. Comedy is comedy, right? It's comedy, right. Every comedian I can think of it has been edgy. Mm-hmm. Maybe except for Bill Cosby. But every, yep. but, but every, other, every other comedian has been edgy. Um, and, that's, and that's common. That's the beauty of their work. And Dave Chappelle has shown how brilliant and genius he is on putting these two worlds together, comedy in the real world and making people laugh. And you also, you're learning from it, but you're laughing like, hey, wait a minute. This is me, or this is this person, this is this person. Right, he's not singling anybody out. He's making fun of everybody, but it's tasteful. It's nothing, it's nothing off, you know, it's not tasteless. You know, he, he talked about, what well, I got friends and all ethnicity and races and background, different backgrounds, and and he also talked about his own people. So it's, 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 he's, he's a genius, dude. He's a genius. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just look at this situation that I think, John Gruden and what he did was hateful. I right. Think oh, right. Yeah. Dave yeah. Chappelle and what he was trying to do with this special, I almost felt like he was shining the light on himself and saying that, hey, I've been transphobic in my time. These are situations where I've made these comments, I've had these thoughts. And he was saying the things that I think some people behind closed doors think. Now, I'm not saying that it's okay, but there's right. a lot of people down here that says, and remember the point that he made. When a black person got killed and gunned down in the street, there wasn't a lot of that uproar about that. But he said, if a gay person's feelings get hurt, then there's a whole bunch of uproar. I think when you make comments like that, you're not trying to divide. You're just trying to say, like, let's keep that same energy across the board. Exactly. And it's not making fun of. It's not making fun of uh, a certain group. It's not making fun. Hey, wait a minute. We all we all want people here. If. One person is gunned down in the street. There's no, no static behind it. But if you hurt somebody feeling here, oh man, you should, here, here's come all the uproar. It's like, wait a minute, doesn't his life matter too? This person, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like that's all. That's all he's saying. And you got to people. I think people need to get the. Let's not look at this with a biased approach. Let's just have. Let's go with this with open mind. You know, because if you look at it like uh, this Dave Chappelle, he's big on LG, you know making fun of LGBT. Then you're not gonna like what he say. But if you're open to open to the fact where, well, let me listen to what he had to say and really think about it. It's like, uh, yeah, that's true. Like he talked about, like with Caitlyn, Caitlyn Jenner. He said he met her a few times. Good person. They have no beef. <laughs> but 
ESPN gave her the the, the woman of the year, and, and she said she, she's better than all you women. And, said, and she only been a woman for a year, <laughs> dude. I mean, it's true. It's not like he, it's not like he made that up. And he said she beat out all of you who's been women. You've been a woman for all your whole life, and she beat you out. I mean, how can you get mad at that? It's 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 just funny, man. It's jokes, man. Yeah, but you know, as you mentioned before, though, Jules, uh, it's, it's a different society. It's a different time. Yeah. But I'm actually okay with the fact that our society has evolved. But I also want to make sure, too, that, hey, can we just, like, listen to folks? And, and this is one of the mm-hmm. things that I always try to say on this show. Hey, I'm always open for conversation. I'm always open for dialogue. This person over here that somebody's telling me, like, oh, I don't like this person because they feel this kind of way. Well, man, I like to sit down and have a conversation with that person. I like to hear their perspective. They'll see why they feel a certain kind of way. That's just the way that I operate. I'm just not readily mm-hmm. just going to be sitting here, Jules, like, oh, this person's anti this, this person's anti that. I don't operate like that. I'm always willing to have discussion with people because, hey, I can learn from it and maybe that person can learn from it too. I'm right there with you. Well, we appreciate audience for those questions. Those are some hard-hitting questions this week. But, hey, we're not going to shy away from it. Whatever you guys send in that mailbox, we're going to answer it. So we appreciate you guys so much for that. Jules, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. So as Jules said in the open, today's show, we're going to delve into how to save our youth. Now, we talk so much on this show about our inner cities. But on today's episode, not only are we going to focus on the inner cities, but we're just going to talk about our kids as a whole, because all of our kids right now are under siege by a lot of the things that we're seeing right now. Now, today's episode is actually an extension of our Children of Trauma episode. Now, that episode got over 1,500 downloads from it. You guys really, really had a lot of like really kind feedback about that. But one of the overarching themes, Jules, that we got feedback-wise from that was people saying, hey, we would love if you guys did a follow-up episode and focus on not only the influence of gangs, but how that gang culture even infiltrates our children. So that's what we're going to do today. Because one of the things that we did not discuss when we talked about that Children of Trauma episode was the heavy influence of gangs. Because Mm -hmm. this is one thing. Jules in law enforcement. I'm not, but I still work with a lot of the kids. So I see things. Jules sees things. Now, I want you guys all, audience, to just sit back and think about something for a minute. A child as a 13-year-old isn't going to just up and make a decision that he's going to join a gang. That's not how this shit works. A lot of times we have to sit back and understand what are the root causes? What are the factors that attribute to a kid joining a gang? Why are they motivated to do so? Because there's a lot of things. Now, the first thing, and this is something that I hear firsthand from a lot of the kids that I work with is that they're motivated to join these gangs, Jules, because it gives them some sort of a sense of a connection. It gives them a feeling of that they belong to something. A lot of times mm-hmm. they feel in their own personal lives, they don't have family. They don't have people around them that they feel connected to. So that gang, in essence, kind of preys on a lot of the insecurities of that kid, right? And so that's the thing that nobody really talks about is the fact that a lot of these situations with these kids, it starts young. It's not a 13-year-old kid decided to become a a gang member. It just starts as young as elementary school, eight or nine-year-old kids that are starting to be influenced by the gang culture. Now, Jules, I shared a story with you, but I don't know if I shared it with our audience. I was on a work trip, and this was early in the summer, and I'm in the pool, and there's a little, you know, young black kid. You know, he noticed my hair because I have, you know, longer hair now. 
And he was like, oh, yeah, you got Watts. And, you know, he's talking to me and stuff like that. He's asking me, do you know uh, Chief Keef? And I said, yeah, I'm familiar with his mm-hmm. music. And he's, like, asking me about all these rappers, right? So then he starts talking about the rappers that got killed. He's like, oh, what about Pop Smoke? You know, what about Vaughn? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm familiar. Now, this is an eight-year-old kid. And now he starts throwing gang signs up towards me. He's like, do you know this gang sign? Because he was in this gang and he was in that gang. And I turned around and looked at him. I said, kid, first of all, you don't even know me. You just came over to me and just started talking to me just off the cuff. And now you're flashing all these gang signs at me. I said, now, what happens if I was somebody that was in one of those type of gang sets? And he got real quiet. Mm -hmm. I said, but I'm not. I said, because you know what? Never have I ever... (laughs) been a part of any sort of a gang because I said I, that shit just never did anything for me. But I said, for you, you need to be careful with what you're throwing up, who you're throwing that stuff up to. And lastly, that shit ain't cute. I said, this conversation that you're having with me, I said, this is a nothing conversation. I said, you seem to be a smart kid. You're in this expensive ass hotel and you are here throwing up gang signs. So I'm like, obviously there's somebody that cares about you that you're staying in this hotel that you're in this pool while I'm in this pool distressing, right? So then two seconds later, his nanny comes over and now I'm getting the situation. Now I see what it is. Now the kid's parents is pawning this kid off on the nanny. The nanny's not going to be all that involved with him. She's just making sure the kid's safe, but she's not going to be telling him, hey, don't be doing this, don't be doing that. So my point is, it's all type of risk factors that happen to get these kids involved in these type of lifestyles. Now, this is a good kid that comes from good stock. A lot of times people will say, oh, well, it's because kids that come from these high-risk communities. A lot of times it's just a kid that's in a, in a household where maybe the parents, they're not paying as much attention to the kid as they can be. And that's what I thought with this individual kid here. Smart kid, but he's focusing on the wrong things. And he's focusing on these things because no one's paying attention to him. No, Perez, you you know what? I'm glad that you had that. I re- you had told me that story before when we were talking. And I'm glad that you you told the young man, no, that's you know, that's not cool. What if he was a different a rival set? But they're killing kids. Mm-hmm. They're killing kids. They ain't thinking nothing of it. It's different from when we was uh coming up, uh, Perez. Right. At least at least the time we was coming up, we had uh there was in the games you had your your literature and you had uh your orders and it was discipline then. Now it's, I can I can call it. I don't even know what it is now. And well, there's no rules anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's no rules. There's no, there's no heads. There's nobody taking um, accountability on these soldiers out here because anything goes. With your point there, with with that young man, he's very. Your kids are very impressionable, and the music he was listening to and the videos he's watching. Nobody's there monitoring. You can tell, like you said, Chris, nobody was there monitoring what he's listening to when you're watching because he's very heavily influenced with that. And he's being taught bad things and going around saying and doing, showing people bad things because it's not a glamorous life being in the game. Eight, nine years old and all the way up to your teens. With this here, you need a very strong uh, family support system because let's say a single mom or a single dad and you're not paying attention to uh, what, the, what your child is doing. He can come. He can get swept up with the wrong person easily. They can ask their friend and doing what their friend doing and getting in trouble with that friend. And then there's more friends that act like them. And it's 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 you know it's 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 it's, it's, me- it's messed up and it's and it's easy. And you and you look at 
well, there's a bad kid, but no, he just, he just want to fit in. Yeah. And he thinking that this was, this is cool, but not learning any, not learning any discipline, not, not learning any morals and saying, hey, no, this is, this isn't right. And I think one of the points that you made there, and I want to kind of spark at here for a second, you talked about peer pressure. So when you and I, we were coming up and we had our group of friends, we were in a different situation. Even though we grew up in the inner city, we, you know, we had mm-hmm. different things that we were motivated by. But now let's think about these kids now that are coming up. And I hear it all the time. It's a little bit different for them. Times are different. Times have changed. So peer pressure, I think, is a bigger focus now than it was when we were coming up. But also, what one of the things that I always ask kids when, when they're in the programs, Jules, and I want to get your thoughts on this, I'll say, all right, so what are the reasons why you guys got into gangs or what is the reason why you think being in a gang is important? So outside of the peer pressure that you brought up, they'll say, well, I need to protect myself because going mm-hmm. through some of my neighborhoods and communities, I need to have some sort of affiliation or I'm going to be out here alone, all right? They say they also want to protect their families. And they said, Sometimes, too, they'll say, well, I needed to make money because my mom is a single mom out here. I have brothers and sisters. We don't have a lot. Or, and this is the most common thing, Jules, it's because this shit is grained in their family. Their family is a gang family. Mm -hmm. So these are things that I hear. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that because you're out on the streets. You're going onto these calls. What do you see when you have these kids that are in this life what what are some of the things that you're seeing like that kind of can match up with what I said there from the program? Oh, dude, all the man, you hit all the above. All the above. And you look at it, some of them, you look at their pops. Okay, yeah, I see where, you know, his pops out there banking. So what he's he's blessed in. He well, prayers, man. I'm I'm talking like I'm talking like we we back in the nineties. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, so hey, <laughs> hey, so he blessed in. That means you ain't gotta get jumped in to get in this game. He's, right. he's already, you know, he put ones who in the blessed it. So, so you have that, but then you also have the ones the mom can't do nothing with, or the older parent, or the uh, other grandmother's raising the kid, and you know she's older, she can't keep up with him. So what do you do? He run the streets. The little the uh, the game babies, the other game babies, the older game babies recruit this boy because oh yeah, we got us one. He'll go around and he'll break into these cars, he'll break into these homes, he'll steal out these stores. So that you know it's messed up because this kid is like. Like I said, impressionable. He just, he's being a kid. Right. But being around wrong influence, you can see what happened. And then if he's staying there, he'll grow up and he'll be one of them older, older gang, older gang heads. Right. So to your question is, all the above. I see it all the time. And they stand out, you know, out in the corners. They just monkey see, monkey do. I remember first getting on the job, I'm dealing with this one kid. And I remember this one kid in particular named Reggie. He always was on the corner. Always, God call him Pyro because he like setting fire to things. Okay, and and I grabbed him one time. I said, "Listen, man, you are gonna have a hard life. You keep this up, man. Stay away from these people, man. They ain't they ain't no good." Of course, Reggie, you know you like to stay with those people. You like to have fun when he's with them. So uh, the years when I got older in my career, I still see Reggie doing the same damn thing out on the corner. Now he's got a little taller, a little older, a little more defiant, and you can't tell him nothing. So, dude, it's like you said, all the all the above. I see it all. It's rough out here because the gangs, when we came up, Chris, it's not like it is now. Now, you can have one set of faction on this block, and it's a whole different set of faction. Y'all could be into it, but you but they still the next block. So you call slipping, walking in the wrong wrong block. 
you may have only one block that's a boundary. Let's say you're 69th, and then there's another gang on 72nd. 71st is the neutral ground. But if you call yourself, but but it's only a block, Chris. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> man. So it's crazy how this gang life has gotten. You know what? And, and that's one thing that a lot of people don't talk about. The fact that though, especially here in Chicago, I can't speak for other communities, but you're right. It's like little war zones within war zones. And it's unfortunate that that's the way it is set up. Now, one thing, though, from one young lady that's in the program, I asked her and, and I even asked the kids, I was like, hey, would any of you guys want to volunteer to come on the show today? This is what we we're talking about. Okay. None of them wanted to. Mm. The reason why was some of them are still in that activity. Mm. Others have gotten out of it and they don't want anybody to know who they are anymore. So and it's a tough situation because they're in these programs, but they don't even feel comfortable sharing their story. So now I have to speak, you know, kind of from their lens. And I said, hey, well, I'm going to talk and I'm going I'm to put my spin on it. But, you know, how do you guys feel about these things? So there was one young lady. She had been a victim of uh, sexual abuse. Okay. She joined the gang because she said, you know what? This is going to keep that from happening to me ever again. Now, see, these are the things that people don't think about when they talk about gangs. And a lot of times we don't even talk about the females that join these gangs. And sometimes the females are even more ruthless than the male gang members. And this young lady was telling me some of the stuff that she's gone through and some of the things that she had to do being a part of the gang. But she said that was her reason and rationale for why she did so. She said because she felt like no one would ever touch her again in that manner because she had the protection of those people that were above her in the gang. Yeah, you know, female gangs or Man, some people just in general just she was right when she said she the females are a little more ruthless because they are. It's been a few incidents I know dealt with where it was female shooters. And with that, sometimes it can be, you know, uh domestic boy. Then a lot of times it can be, hell, she was she been through some things and it's not gonna happen anymore. And and what do you say with that? It's like, it's like, man, you you know what, you're right. But there's another way you can come at it, but you can understand. It just get a bad spin on it when you see this that's plastered on the news and and then you have other people looking at, oh, well, you know, see, this is what they do. But it's it's there's always a, a rhyme and a reason for a lot of people. For some, it's, it's not. But for a lot of people, there's a rhyme and a reason why stuff stuff is happening. Things have happened and transpired in people's, uh, these kids' lives where they have to take money on their own hands because they don't know, they don't have the right support system to help them. Right. So some of the time that's what happened. And that's why these kids be end up in these games. That ties back into what we talked about earlier with relationships, right? Because they uh-huh. join this because they're looking for a sense of family because the family that they're a part of, they don't feel that connection. You know, they feel rejected. They feel ignored. Right. And it, it, it don't even have to be in their family. It could be with school. They don't feel a connection there. If they happen mm-hmm. to be a part of the church, they feel rejected from that as well. So it's just. Right they may join that gang to find some sort of support in their life. Now, you try to explain to a kid that's 10 and 11 years old that just because this gang is giving you that false sense of support, that that's not the way to go. Well, they're still impressionable, as you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. Jules. They're not seeing it that way. They don't understand. They just know, hey, these people over here got my back and their viewpoint, the way that they see it. Right, right, right. Yeah, they got my back. We, I mean, we, we, we travel. We get into things. It might be fun. It might be adrenaline to the, you know, to them, you know, and they're like, man, no, these are my friends, you know, and you walk around like, j- just think, 
11, 12, 13 years old, you walking around and you ain't got to worry about getting messed with or getting, or, you know, getting picked on. Or, if, you know, you go home at night, you wake up and you, you, you can't wait to give it your friends because you know you're all going to have some fun. Then it turns that and then it turns to, to other things. Then, then there's the bad. That's the good side, you know, towards them. That's the good side of it. But there is a dark side of it. And, and those are things that, that that's not good. And that's the things that get you on the news and get you in trouble and get you even killed. Exactly. So, and that's, that's the danger part. That's the danger part. Because I think a lot of times with these kids, man, they see the status of it. And to the story that I was saying earlier with the kid that was in the pool with me, throwing up all the different gang signs. In his mind, because he's only an eight-year-old kid, he sees status behind that because he's seeing mm-hmm. the rappers that are doing this. He sees the people that are getting money that are a part of all that. And that's another thing where these gangs, that's how they prey on these kids, especially these kids that don't have much. They come from these communities and these families that don't have shit. So these kids, this is the first time in their life that they feel a part of something that they feel like it gives them a leg up, right? They feel like they're finally mm-hmm. getting some respect in this world. But see, those are the things that people don't talk about. And let's not forget about the economic part of it, Jules. If they're out here selling drugs or or doing different jobs and getting paid from the gang from doing so, now this is the alternative of them actually going out there and getting a, a low-wage job. They're not working a, a minimum wage job right. like the kids in our families are because they're out here like, no, I want to get money. I want to get money. Right. Right. Prayers. You hit something on there. And they're getting that fast and and and, and that fast and quick money, but it's more than what you're getting if you're working in a fast food restaurant or mm-hmm. so they're looking at, man, if I'm jacking uh car radios, I know I'm telling my age. I, if I'm jacking car stereos, <laughs> <and> stuff, <laughs> you know, if I'm jacking car stereos, man, if I'm getting a hundred bucks every stereo, oh man, I'm man, I'm good. I'm I'm come up, man. I'm, I'm gonna get a few licks of them. Dude, let's say you're 13 years old, you walking around with five hundred dollars in your pocket. Hell, I ain't had five hundred dollars until I damn joined the police department. Shit, I'm thinking five hundred dollars. Talk that talk. Talk that talk. Man, you know what I'm saying? You drive it. You ain't got a license, good, and you got a car. It's messed up because that's the the they see it, and that's you coming at with them like, hey, look, my mom ain't taking care of me. She's working, or she even worse that she's not working, or she's strung out, or whatever the case may be. It's a situation where that kid in. Like, he got to fend for himself, and this is the only way and the best way he can do it. No, I mean, that's a fair point. Now, right. <laughs> let's talk about some of the things that I think a lot of parents and also caregivers of some of these kids, mm-hmm. they don't think about. So we talked about it earlier, not having that proper uh, adult supervision of the kids, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. But think about it, too. Another thing that's common, and we talk about it, even though I don't think this is the total solution, but I feel like a lot of times these kids are preyed upon because they have too much free time on their hands. Think about after school hours, on the weekends. Now, you remember when we were coming up. We were on mm-hmm. sports teams. Yes. We did all these different yes. activities. I look a lot of times, bro, when I'm driving around, even through the, the area that I live in now, and I see a lot of kids, they're just packs of them going into stores and just doing whatever. Now, I don't want to accuse anybody of doing anything, but I'm like, man, couldn't that time be best served doing something else than just running up and down the street? Like, go do something. Go go join an organization. Go join a, a sports team. And like I said, that's not the, the, the main solution behind that, but I still feel like there's benefits to recreationally finding some sort of an activity or program to be a part of. Dude, that's big because coming up, man, I was two brothers, you know, two brothers, three brothers, including, including monster. 
um, we was always, always playing sports, doing something. Fred, you know, we was always doing something. Mm -hmm. Video games or playing sports. But we was busy. We was doing something constructive. Then we get a little older sometimes, uh, go by grandma's houses. Chris, you didn't have to worry about me getting no game because my mom was, she, she wasn't playing. You know mom, she wasn't playing. And that's right. that support system that, we, that, that, that we're talking about. She instilled, her and dad both instilled that in me at an early age. So when we was coming up, it, was just, it wasn't, no, you, you hanging with these group of folks because she, they were monitor your friends. That's the way it's supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? It was friends that I had even though they was in the gang, I knew gang members. Some in the circle a little bit, or out of circle, rather. I knew them because they went to the same school. They never approached me in that way because they knew what type of cat I was. But And they also my, didn't want to deal with your mama either. Dude, they did. Because, <laughs> and then mom was, if you come by the crib or see us on, on a park or something, she said, you know, I want you to watch that boy. She'll say, watch him. And, they, and she knew. She knew. Yeah. This thing is deep, man. That's what I'm sitting up here trying to I want to say the right words because it's, it's so, this thing is so troubling in our youth today in these communities because we need, we need people in, in, in communities and the uh, strong uh, family support system to, to talk about this because how we was coming up and how is it now, totally different. And I want to say, I want to explain that, how, how we came up because it was talking like stranger danger. See, we get away from all this, this, this bringing that we had, this learning that we had when we was kids, prayers. We're getting away from it. And it's more like the young man you talked about at, the, uh, at that pool. Everything's ready and accessible for these young kids to, to learn bad behavior. Mm -hmm. When we was coming up, we didn't have all that. When we was coming up, we was watching TV. They gave any sitcom you was watching, when they, they was talking about gangs. They was talking about these, these things that was going on. And, it's, and they give you no, you know what I'm saying? Gangs is not good. And this, and that. You was getting that education. Yeah, but I will say on the other hand, we still listen to gangster rap. So yes. I'll say this. Mm -hmm. We were listening to music with glorified gang violence. However, I think the thing that we had that these kids don't have now is we had positive role models that expressed to us, hey, that stuff over there, that's entertainment. This over right. here, this is real life. Right. This exactly. shit get you killed out here. Exactly. So we were able to differentiate between the two. These kids now, they just go straight to the negative. Right. Now, one other thing, too, because you brought up a point that I thought was really important. You talked about how your mom, she knew who your friends were. Mm -hmm. My mom was the same way. When you come, they wanted to know who your friends were. Had them come over here because they wanted to get to know them. They wanted to have them around. That's something that we need to make sure we're doing. I talked about the extracurricular activities, but right. I think one of the, th the biggest problems, Jules, that you and I didn't have, but some of these kids experience now, because I hear it all the time, their parents or the people that are in their lives aren't engaged in their life. They don't know mm -hmm. what they're doing. They don't know what's going on with these kids. These kids are here doing God knows what. They have no clue. Your mom used to sit down with you and your brother. She knew what the hell was going on. She was involved in your school activities, mm -hmm. came to your games. Yes, she was. And then also, too, you got to monitor your kids. Now, I'm not sitting here trying to say you got to be big brother, but you got to know. You got to be seeing what's going on. Go to the school. Know who the teachers are. What are the teachers saying about your kid? Right. Shit, my mom used to do this with my teachers, and I ain't know this until like later on in life. My mom be like, hey, she used to give the teachers permission. They're like, look, 
If you see him do anything out of line, yeah. pop him upside his fucking head. <laughs> Yo, the teachers and and your neighbors. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we we you know we gonna get into that in a little bit because you're right. Because that's how it was in our community. It was like you know old saying, "It takes a village." Because mm-hmm. that's how we grew up. And I told the story on this show about times when I would get locked out of the house because I was the lock key kid and the other neighbor would see me sitting outside on the porch. They'd be like, no, no, no. I know what time your mom get home from work. You ain't going to be sitting out here on this porch for two hours. Come on over here. We're going to have this for dinner tonight. And it wasn't a situation like how it is now. I wish somebody would uh, (laughs) tell somebody in my family, hey, you come over to my house. We're going to have some dinner. It's not like that. It's totally different. But back then, my mom and them didn't think nothing about that. They're like, oh, you going to Miss Strong House? Oh, okay. You okay. Mm -hmm. Because when, when mm-hmm. we got over to Miss Strong House, we called, hey, we're over here at Miss Strong House. I got locked out. Of course, my mom mad at me because I lost the damn key. But she's like, okay, at least I know they're safe. You know what I mean? Right. And that's dude, how it and, was. Yep. And that's because, why? Because everybody knew each other on the block. Yes. Everybody knew each other, if not the whole block, but a good portion of the block. Well, you know, you know who stayed in that house and that house and that house. You know the kids. You know what they're driving. You know what kind of dog with the dog or the cat name. Everybody was a family on the block. Well, you couldn't do nothing wrong because, like you said, your mom was to give uh, the neighbors permission. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you catch them out of pocket. Let me, you get at them, then I'm going to get at them. Exactly. <laughs> but also, I think you got to spend quality time with these kids, yep. even when oh, they're yes, young. Sir. You got to be that, like I said earlier, you got to be that positive role model. Like, for me, I want to be that change that. I want to see in the world. I do that with my family members. I do that every day. So if I'm saying something to a kid in the program, it ain't no different than what I'm saying to kids in my family. It's no different. I want the same thing that I want for those kids that I want for the kids in my family. I want all of us to be great because if we improve our communities, then we're improving the world around us. Our communities right now are in shambles and you got people throwing their hands up because it's not my problem. I I got my own stuff I got to worry about. That is our problem. How you how you gonna want better for your community, but you don't give a shit? How that sound? Man, sound crazy. You talked about the community aspect of things. So I look at it like this. Recreation, that's just one piece of the puzzle, Jules. But that's not gonna totally get it because it starts with those communities. Now, how come our schools don't take more of an emphasis to have programs and different funding being offered? to give these kids an outlet, give these kids some things to do. Now, we talked about this before, Jules, bringing some trades into these schools, giving these kids some sort of goals, some tangible goals. Not every kid's going to go to college. Right. But having things for these kids to take some interest in, into, because you got some kids, they don't do so well in school, their confidence isn't there, so they give up on it. They drop out of school because they're like, oh, school's not for me. I'm not good at it. Well, let's have some programs that expose these kids to some electrician trades. Teach them welding. Right. Teach them some things that they can have pride in themselves because that's where it starts. They don't have pride in themselves. Their self-esteem is so fucking low that they don't think that they're worthy enough to be out here in this world in the right way. And then they go get to the negative bullshit. It's so easy to get a part of negative shit. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's effortless. It's like effortless. It, and you know what you said, prayers about them drop out of school. You're dropping out and then you're not replacing it with anything else no. but the negativity. School's not for everybody. But what do you like to do? Everybody like to do something. What do you like to do? We all have passions, right? Yeah. How about this? Why don't we look into this? Why don't we look into that? You know, give some options. Give some resources. Prayers, yeah, we talked about, man, bring bring, um, 
home ec back into schools, bring automobile back into school, electrician, you know, then you have the armed service or whatever the case may be. You know, just if you have options, if the kids have, okay, there's other avenues I can take and I can do, they have to know it. <laughs> like I say, you, if you don't know it, you, how are you going to figure it out? Listen, we always said, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, right? And so yeah. I think that's a part of the problem. Now, to piggyback on what you were saying there about those different programs that we could be doing, these mm-hmm. kids don't feel connected to these programs sometimes in the classroom mm-hmm. because they're not connected to what's really going on in the streets. So that's a huge disconnect, right? I think that the role that our communities can take to prevent these kids from joining these gangs mm-hmm. is to do more programming. So whether it's in the school system, whether it's community-based programs, they need to all step up and start partnering together and come up with plans to be able to help these kids. So if the schools aren't going to put these trades back into schools, if they're not going to put trades back in schools, then we need to have these nonprofit organizations that are out here to help bridge that gap. See, that's where it starts with. It starts with these neighborhoods being a neighborhood, being a community, looking out after each other. Uh It starts with Parents being parents, paying attention to your kids, knowing what your kid is doing. If you notice a change in your kids' behaviors and their appearance and some of the stuff that they're doing, that you step up and you be that first line of defense. But now with the community, if you see little Johnny out there doing some fucked up shit, you go say something. Just like I did with that kid at the pool. Now, that wasn't my responsibility. I ain't had no business saying none of that kid, but you know what? I felt that I needed to. And I hope that maybe that conversation maybe it changed him. Maybe it didn't. Maybe he was like, fuck you. I don't know. But I still said what I had to say. But you did your part, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You now, did your part. The thing that we were talking about with the different trades. Give these kids some training programs. If a kid is struggling academically, where's the tutoring programs? A lot of times right. these tutoring programs that I know that these kids tell me that they go to All it is is a place where they go and hang out for an hour or two and they peace out. Nobody's really sitting down and really working with them and helping them, helping them to understand the studies. Where are our people out there that are these mathematicians, our scientists? Lend your time. Get off your ass making all your money and go over there and donate an hour of your time to a program and actually help these kids to learn the way that you learned. There's some brilliant people in our communities. Get involved. These life skills, these mentoring, all the mentoring I'm doing, and I know people that are in this world making way more money than I make, but they AWOL when it comes to this stuff. They don't do anything. Oh, yeah, they got theirs. They got theirs. They they like, I'm good. Yeah. So that's my point. The community can do way more. So when these things happen, and Jules, I don't have to tell you because you're out there, you're seeing it, you're dealing with it. But when I see these things and I see people on the news and they're saying, this stuff is happening to my community. And I said, but yes, but what are you doing in your community to stop this stuff? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. It takes everybody. It takes these community outreach programs. It takes the schools. It takes law enforcement. This thing is a fucking group effort. But what's happening is none of these parties involved are doing anything. Everything's falling between the cracks. And who loses out? These children. Yeah, right. And then always the kids. A great majority of them are what? African-American. Now, I'm just talking right now. I I feel they don't want to help. I think they, they equip to the, the do things, to get these things under control, to help help the uh, people in the communities, but they don't want to because maybe it's a political agenda or maybe because they just don't want to help. 
That's how I feel sometimes. Because you mean to tell me all these brilliant minds, all these people, these these athletes and actors and and politicians, all and, and, and business people, we still talking about the the black community. We still talking about gangs. We still talking about schools. How long we had to talk about until people say, okay, let's really let's really gear up and do something. We've been talking about resources for a long time. Well, Jules, we know when they're motivated to do something, they get it done. Look at all these communities that they're redeveloping. Remember mm-hmm. when I lived in Bronzeville? The Bronzeville that I lived in in the early 2000s is not the Bronzeville that there is now. The Cabrini right, Green right. area that I talk about all the time. That's not, nope. to, say, that's oh, not no. to say Cabrini Green area. So mm-hmm. what's the difference in those two communities and what they're going to probably start doing in Inglewood versus what we're starting to see in some of these other areas? How do we drive out all of these negative influences to build up a community? What are you doing there that you can't do everywhere else? So is he quit? Things can get done. Why is it not getting done here, man? Only thing I can come up with, because, hell, you know what I'm saying? They're poor, low-income, black or brown people, and then, hell, we need we need to fill up these, these jails with people. We need people to lean on so we can stay in office, and we just give, throw them a little bone, give them some free stuff so they can keep voting for us and keep us employed and stuff. Come on, man. We know... What did you guys do? You brought up the near north project, old Cabrini Green. Them is gone. If people, like I said on the on podcast before, I have family that stay in Cabrini Green. It is completely different. You didn't right. even think Cabrini Green was there. If you can turn Cabrini Green into what it is now, you should be able to turn the west side and the south side, uh, east side, or whatever the case may be, into into something something beautiful. But you don't because what agendas politics. Yeah. This, or, yeah, that's all. Or to the point that you made, which I think is just a lack of just generally giving a fuck. But it's not just those individuals. It's people in our own communities. And that's what I was getting at earlier with the people in these communities, these brilliant people that have made a way for themselves. Get back there and get into the game. You don't know how many times I've talked to people personally that I know, Jules, that have all these skills. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm working with these kids over here, this and that. Oh, man, you know, prayers. You know, man, I'd love to be able to do something like that, man. But I got, you know, my kids and I got, you know, soccer practice. I got this. Okay, I got you. Okay, cool. Or you'll get, hey, man, you know, that's cool and all. But, man, that ain't really for me. You know, I can't worry about, you know, somebody else's kids. That's not my problem. So when I look at it, when you're talking about they don't care, that's got to start with us first. We got to care before we expect somebody else to care. So a lot of times these other people that don't give a shit, they don't give a shit because they look at us and say, well, what are y'all doing? And money's not always the answer. I've never given a single dollar of my money to any kid in this program. I invest in them with my time, my passion, and my energy. I give mm-hmm. them my mm-hmm. all each and every time that I see them or when we do a Zoom session. That's where it starts. We are the solution. We can make these things happen. We've showed it in the past. The civil rights movement was only 50 years ago. And look at all the damage that we've done. See, we forget where we come from. We forget a lot of times the work that the people before us put in. We got to get back to that. Yes. Because if people don't care, we got to make them care. Yes. To your point, Jules, I agree. But it starts with us. We got to fucking do that. That's in our communities. Because if we don't, they're going to keep taking our communities from us. They're going to keep driving us out of our communities, pushing us out further south. And then they're going to take another community from us, redevelop it, and then make a shit ton of money off of it. They've done it. We've seen the blueprint over and over again. See, it's levels to this whole thing. And I don't want to get off track here, but when I see people that look like me so indifferent 
to our conditions because they got a couple dollars and now you think that you're better than somebody? You ain't no better than anybody that's going through anything in this fucking world. You're not. These kids that I sit down and have these conversations with are good kids. They come from fucked up environments. They come from broken homes. They come from all types of situations where they didn't get the same opportunities that Jules and I got or other people that Jules and I know. They didn't get those opportunities. And now one of the things, too, that these kids that have gotten out of the gangs, now they're trying to figure out, well, what's the next path forward? I had dropped out of school. Now I got to go get a GED. But I don't have any life experience. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't worked. I haven't done anything. See, those are the things that no one's talking about. See, that's where people like us step in to be able to give these kids a path ahead, to help them with a plan, to help mm-hmm. them understand what success looks like in this world, to give them the confidence that they can go out there and do anything that they put their minds to. If you're out there doing that negative bullshit in the gang and learning all the literature and going out there pulling licks for these people, then go do that shit for yourself. Go out there and you because you've already showed that you got entrepreneurial behaviors. Go out there and do that shit on some positive shit. That's the stuff that I sit down to talk, but there's more people out there that can be doing that stuff. There's so many nonprofit organizations out there. So anybody that's listening to this show, get off the sideline. It's an hour or two a week. You can spare that. That's not watching a fucking Netflix show for one hour. Jump in here and help out. It takes a village. Let's get back to that idea because we all are the way that we are today because we had that village community aspect of life. We have lost that. We have no more communities. Everybody's out for themselves right now. And it's tough to see. And it's tough for me to even say that shit, but that's the way it is. We got to get back to everybody caring with that that village to to raise a child, atmosphere, to everybody just getting involved. We got to get back to it because you are absolutely right. Everybody just caring about themselves. Why are you doing that? Everything else is just going to crap. You know, how are we going to survive in the future as a whole? If people not getting off their ass and doing things and correcting the uh, misbehave or the things that need to be corrected, we we have to get back in in order to survive as a as order to live as a human being as a civilization. No, and that's for sure. And I just want to say this to any kid that this episode is shared with that's a part of a gang. We're not judging you, but what we will say to you is this: There's another way, but mm-hmm. you got to figure out what that way is for yourself. See. No one else can want anything for you. You got to want it for yourself. And this is one of the things that I have learned from my time of working with you. When they figure out, Jules, that they've had enough and when they're done, then that's when they can fucking step away from that shit. But when you do step away, have a plan. Change your phone number. If it's an option, move out of that community. That's where you got to work with your parents. Right? Get off of social media. There's a lot of different things you could do to, if you want to get out of those gangs. Because I know it's not easy. I hear the stories from these kids. These gangs will terrorize them when they try to leave. Oh, but yeah. just know, there's people out here that are willing to help. There's organizations that are willing to help. If you need help, you reach out to us. You got our email address, pullingbackthecurtainpodcast at gmail.com. We're here. Join the intervention group. You do whatever it takes to get your life back. Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bruh. Perez, this curtain call goes out to Bill. Bill is a nationally respected gang intervention, violence prevention, and youth development organization based on Chicago's West Side. It meant to young people who face the steepest obstacle, reaching thousands of views each year in the Austin, 
East Garfield Park, Humboldt Park, Famosa, Logan Square, and Fuller Park communities. Built, Perez and I and Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast family would like to thank you and appreciate all your hard work. Shout out to Build Jules. Thanks for that curtain call. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate your continued support of the show. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.